Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the podcast where good taste and bad taste explode. <laughs> Kaboom! They just explode. All over my face. Every single time. You'd think, you'd think the neighbors would complain after a while, but no. no. They know what to expect. Yeah. Introduce yourself, William. My name is William. Shut up. <laughs> what are you doing? Ruining my mojo. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic for IGN, other sources occasionally, sometimes. And uh, <laughs> it is almost 1 a.m., and we're low on energy, so we're going to have to buck up! Oh, yeah. Well, we have a lot to be excited about, because Sonic the Hedgehog came out. Yeah! Which I saw alone... <laughs> One for Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, the, the, there's no both. sadder phrase. <laughs> yeah, the, the, one matinee for Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, this we're, this week I'm going to claim we're reviewing Sonic the Hedgehog. We're reviewing a Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, uh, the photograph, mm-hmm. and also the thing about Harry. Who he he's got a thing. That oh, Harry, quite a thing. My Nothing goodness. to do with the trouble with Harry. In fact, it's a delightful romantic comedy. It, yeah, that that'd be a weird double feature. Good movies though. Both both good in yeah. very 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 different ways. If you've never seen The Trouble with Harry, it's this really awesome French thriller from the early two thousands um, about a guy who runs into someone he knew from high school. And it turns out that someone he knew from high school is now like a sociopath. But he's a sociopath who always thought this guy was really cool. So now that he sees he's got all of these like really everyday things just kind of standing in the way of his personal happiness, he's just like, well, if he resents his parents, I can just kill his parents. And then he won't have to resent them anymore and he can move on with his life. And then like that happens and the guy's just like... Yeah, everything feels better now. <laughs> it's really dark and cynical. And yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really it's, great. It's but, pretty terrific. Yeah, yeah. But it has nothing to do with mm-hmm. The Thing About Harry, which is a rom-com mm-hmm. that we'll talk about at the end of the episode. Before we get into the movie reviews, Whitney, how you doing? Mm-hmm. You want to pad the podcast a little bit, fill some time? Uh, uh, sure. Uh, my, my finger is feeling much better, thank you. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, if, if, uh, you can probably see it now, the uh, movie trivia showdown that I was on uh, with Alonso Duralde. He and I competed as Deep 13. Mm-hmm. If you look carefully, there's a big bandage on my finger. Yeah. Because that morning I sliced my finger pretty wide open with a serrated blade, cutting open a bagel. Okay. And I got five stitches in my finger. And then you just... And then I ran out, ran out to Burbank to tape the movie trivia schmodown. So and, when people uh, ask you if there's like some sort of pre-taping ritual mm-hmm. that you do to get all the questions right... Yeah, the that, secret is, is a trip to the emergency room. That's, yeah. that's the secret. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's looking much better now. I can... Uh, kind of pinch things again. I, I have lost feeling in the, my fingertip. Well, now that we can talk about it, seriously, congratulations on that win. Thank you. That was that was it, it's it's fun to win. <laughs> Isn't it? I just? mean, it's it's fun to play, but yeah, it feels good to win. And um, yeah, I was I was glad that uh, Alonso and I were, were able to pull it out. It sets us mm-hmm. on a collision course, which unfortunately, because uh, since the. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of the deconstructionist period that was the draft. Mm. There's only like five teams that have any sort of record in the movie trivia showdown. Yeah. And now like you're one of the only new teams that does. And so the odds of us playing each other have dramatically increased. Oh, and I'm sure we'll face off. We'll face off in a pit. I don't want to fight you. Those brains with a gambling problem will start wagering quatloos on which of us will come out on top. And it's a quatloo. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know oh. what the exchange rate of quat lose to 
latinum. But what is is that from Star Trek? That's Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, it's from the episode the, the, ga- the Gamesters of Triskelion, where uh. Kirk and and. Uh, uh, Chekhov are put in a death arena with other actually, aliens. I think it's one of the more famous ones I've actually never seen. Oh yeah. So I look forward to getting to that on uh, our well, Star Trek I, podcast I, yesterday. I, I gave away the big reveal, but there, it turns out there's these three disem- glowing disembodied brains in a cave underneath no, I, the arena I, that are. I actually know are the masterminding basic, the entire thing. I actually know the basic premise just through cultural osmosis, yeah. but like, yeah, that's that's yeah. fun. But yeah, like, they, they famously say, "I wager three hundred quatlus on the newcomer." <laughs> The one I've been looking forward to, and it's our next episode of well, our yesterday's, is Space Seed, uh-huh. which I rewatched for the first time in quite a few years. I have things to say about that episode, <laughs> but it, I it's, didn't realize it's actually it, not one of my favorites. It's actually Space got Seed, a lot of problems. Uh, so if you want to listen to that, check us out on Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. That one's for subscribers only. But yeah, let's get started on these movie reviews now. Sonic the Hedgehog, okay, is a movie now. And it's, I want to talk yeah. a little bit about the cultural history of Sonic. Must we? Well, I actually <laughs> well, think because there was like a time in the four 90s. TV series based on Sonic the Hedgehog. So there was yeah. a time in the 90s when they actually like tested like cultural awareness of various like mm. icons. Okay. Which uh, I think Sonic the Hedgehog was actually more recognizable to kids than Mickey Mouse. Okay. He was yeah. just really, really big in the 90s. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog uh, is a blue hedgehog in red sneakers. He was the star of a series of video games, which are still being made, but in their heyday, they were for the Sega Genesis. Mm. Sonic was the mascot of the Sega Genesis back when gaming consoles were considered for kids and mascots made them not only kid-friendly, but also the kind of thing your parents would be okay with buying for you. Mm. Nintendo had Super Mario. Genesis had Sonic the Hedgehog. The, uh, the Neo Geo. Ha- oh wait, nobody had a Neo Geo. Neo Geo had Samurai Showdown. That's what they had. The, the, that was like their game, but they didn't have a mascot. No, they, well, they was too expensive. Yeah, really. that that was the thing. Yeah, the, the shtick with the Neo Geo, by the way, and I thought this was a really cool innovation for back when there were a lot of video arcades. Mm. But you could like insert a little disc into your video game console while you were playing uh, something on your Neo Geo at home. Then you could remove that, bring it down to the arcade, and insert it into a little slot in the arcade cabinet and pick up where you left off in the arcade cabinet. So you could actually, like, advance in the game in both places. Yeah, which was that's really, a cool. That's a cool idea. It, at the time, it was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so Sonic the Hedgehog was a side-scroller initially. He eventually had pinball games and other kinds mm-hmm. of craziness. Uh, in which you just ran around these sort of robotized, like, environments. Some of them were like, oh, it's the woods, but the trees are robots for some reason. That's and you, you video game aesthetics. And you ran through it real or... fast, and occasionally you turned you yourself up... into a buzzsaw and zoomed through them and stuff. Yeah, in most games, you pick up coins or hearts. In Sonic the Hedgehog, it was little golden rings. Yep. and that was your money. And uh, his arch nemesis was, initially, mm. Dr. Robotnik. Why? Because he made robots. Then eventually they decided his name was, was and always had been Eggman. Why? I have no idea. Egg- Eggman Robotnik? Is that his first name? I don't think so. They were just called Dr. Eggman. Oh, okay. Or well, Eggman. In, in, the mo- in the movie, he's called both. Is he really? Is he Eggman Robotnik? No, it's, he's Dr. Robotnik, and then Sonic sort of, as a pejorative, calls him Eggman. Interesting. Because he has some robots that look like eggs. There's a uh, uh, long time ago, like back in the 90s, when Jim Carrey was becoming a thing, mm. he released a cover of I Am the Walrus. 
in which he wow okay there was an extent i don't remember this oh yeah yeah okay. and it was funny because like he like well, i was a big the, jim carrey fan when he first hit you know, I know. like 94 it might have been like an obscure soundtrack or something that he did mm-hmm. but uh, he did i am the walrus it was a perfectly decent cover but at the end um he just said there i did it i have defiled a timeless work of art <laughs> but there's a bit in that song if you remember that song where john lennon and then later jim mm. carrey proclaimed i am the Eggman. Mm. i am the Eggman." and i think it's funny that he's now the Eggman. Uh, uh, you okay you know kind of he everything is, coming full is, circle he is Eggman. Uh, and uh, yeah, and they've been they've been toying with the idea of doing a movie for a long time. I'm actually surprised it took them this long. Uh, there were uh, I I, cor- I correct myself. There were five Sonic the Hedgehog TV series. Yep, there was, was one. Um, there were two that ran concurrently. Yeah, there was a little th- funny one for kids, and there was like a dark and gloomy one for older kids. Slightly older. Yeah, there was one for like maybe five year olds, and then there was one for eight year olds. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the one for eight year olds is fondly remembered. Uh, the one for five-year-olds, less so. No, but they, they ran at the same time. It was so. basically a bunch of. It was almost but, like a Coyote Roadrunner thing, where just oh, Sonic yeah. keeps like beating Eggman and his robot minions mm-hmm. at their own game, and then eats a hot dog. But the one that took place in kind of like this post-apocalyptic fantasy land, like where Eggman Son- Sonic Underground. Yeah, that was the one where uh, Doctor Robotnik slash Eggman uh, had actually already taken over the world, mm-hmm. and Sonic and a team of you know small, delightful, very creatures. Uh, led a rebellion, and it was well animated, oh, reasonably well written. Oh, that, that wasn't Sonic Underground. No, Sonic Underground was it was post apocalyptic, and like the entire world had been overthrown, and music had been outlawed, oh. and Sonic and his uh, triplet brother and sister mm. were in a rock band together, and they could like blow holes through walls with the power of their rock. Yeah, they that was that they were, like an, an, an underground rock band. That was from like ninety nine. Like, you know what Sonic needs. Twisted Sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah look, look up the theme song to Sonic Underground at some point. It's like the stupidest looking thing. Yeah. Um, then there was Sonic X, which was an anime series. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one that came after that, which I have no familiarity with. Um, it's called Sonic Boom. Yeah, I didn't see Sonic Boom. I saw a little bit of Sonic X because my nieces were really into it. Okay. Back when they were, you know, of the age that that was like their jam. Uh, but uh, yeah, I grew up with the video games. I didn't have a Sega Genesis, but Sonic was everywhere. I played Sonic right. a lot, uh, and uh, I saw those first initial series. The little kid version didn't wasn't very interesting to me. The older kid version was pretty good, mm. and then uh, I stopped giving a crap because <laughs> well, Sonic games started to suck for a really long time. And also, Sonic is a character who's a lot like Mario. He's only meant to sort of have a single facial expression, yeah. not like have a backstory or a lot of character. Yeah, because you don't because re- really. you don't really care. You're just he's just a little cool looking blue widget. He's cool. That you he's got a, a cool sidekick named Tails. There's a cool Echidna named Knuckles, and that's it, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, now he's a feature film. It's, it's this is the highest grossing film uh, ever to have been based on a video game. Uh, opening weekend, anyway. Opening, it's, it's not. Opening it's weekend. not there over. I think Warcraft is still number one it, technically, but overseas. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. it, but it did nose out uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Uh, both of which about little furry CGI critters that like to sass. Yeah, uh, and um, full disclosure here, uh, I know uh, one of the writers who worked on this, and I know him reasonably well. So although I do feel like if I had seen the movie, mm. I could give a reasonably fair review in the interest of, uh, you know, 
not wanting to seem inappropriate or anything, I didn't even go see it. Okay. So I don't have an opinion. I wanted to give help give a little backstory <laughs> okay. on Sonic. I can ask you questions uh, about this, but I figured since I can't review it anyway, uh, I'll see it eventually, but I don't I won't have anything to contribute uh, on this review. So this is uh, all Whitney. Whitney, hmm. I have heard yes. from the grapevine that the, Sonic oh, them. that Sonic the Hedgehog, uh. the movie, is a blast from the nineties past. <laughs> It really makes you remember and love all the 90s, that 90s in the 90s. <laughs> I suppose if, if you really like Goof Troop... <laughs> I love maybe, that you can't uh, even say the word Goof Troop without that tone of voice. Then you'll maybe you'll like Sonic the Hedgehog the movie. Goof Troop was fine. Goof Troop was not the most <laughs> embarrassing part of that Disney afternoon. I, I suppose it wasn't. Quack Pack was the most embarrassing thing of the yes, Disney Yes, it was. Part. If you like Quack Pack, <laughs> you'll like Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog is stiflingly mediocre. It, every single line of dialogue, every joke, every aesthetic decision, you can hear wafting its way over a coffee table in Malibu in some producer's house as they brainstorm what the hell they're going to do with the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. This is not based on any kind of genuine passion. First of all, it was pretty widely publicized that they redesigned the character and redid most of the special effects uh, in great haste and at great expense after... Twitter reacted badly to exposure of the first version of the character. The initial trailer, he mm. looked very different. Well, not very different, but significantly different. Yeah, they they tried to make the... the even though Sonic the Hedgehog is like a large-headed, blue, spiky monstrosity, they tried to give him like a a modicum of realism. Yeah, like so his had legs had, had muscles like, and Yeah, stuff like he and... actually had more human proportions, like his head was a little smaller, they gave him smaller eyes and human teeth, even though it's still this furry CGI monstrosity. Listen, uh, we like furry CGI mm. monstrosities, but only when they look one way! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will not accept my CGI monstrosities any other way. So they, they redid it, they made him look a lot more cartoony, a lot more like uh, the drawings from the game. Um... It really doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> so, the premise is they drop us in pretty quick. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is a blue hedgehog space alien from another dimension. Okay. And he has been raised by an owl in the woods. Uh, then it is not really ever explained, but somebody wants his power. His powers of some kind. Okay. And his mama owl gives him a bag of magic rings and says, use these to teleport to safe planets, and when somebody comes going for you, just run to the next planet. Mm. And uh, Living on the land. Oh, so it's like Running on Empty with River Phoenix. It's exactly like Running on Empty with River okay. Phoenix. Really good movie, Running on Empty. Yeah, it's it's like Undertow, David Gordon Green. This is practically a David Gordon, David Gordon Green movie. I like it. Well, actually, uh, it wouldn't be shocked considering he's also. Like, he's, got, he's actually had such a weird career. <laughs> he could have odd. done this for all we know. <laughs> he ends up on Earth. He ends up in a little town in Montana where he's been hiding out in a cave doing cool 90s things like reading Flash comics and playing ping pong with himself and hiding out and like getting to know the locals from afar. He doesn't talk to any of the locals. The local sheriff is played by James Marsden. James Marsden is married to Tika Sumter. Yes, Tika Sumter's in this movie. Cool. <laughs> James Marsden and Tika Sumter in this movie as human character one and two. 
I uh, wonder if they'll learn about the power of friendship. Yeah, the, the the when Sonic spazzes out one evening playing baseball, he accidentally like shoots a bunch of blue lightning out of his body, sort of like in Rise of Skywalker. And that attracts the government, who is led in the government team of evil scientists led by Doctor Robotnik, who's played by Jim Carrey. Ah, uh, and uh, been a while since we've seen Jim Carrey in this larger role in a movie. Uh, and doing the Jim Carrey shtick. I yeah. thought he had sort of retired this kind of shtick before. Yeah, the old Ace Ventura mm. broadly comedic. I just mm. looking from the trailers, he's going full nineties. Yeah, he this this is he right you, right next to the Riddler, only he's much older now and doesn't care as much for the material, so he's not as passionate about it. Does it does it really read like he's just going through the motions or does it feel like Jim Carrey is back? Jim Carrey's not back. <laughs> It should be a Rotten Tomatoes quote. Jim Carrey is not. Jim Carrey is not. <laughs> Jim Carrey is acting. Yeah, and then you know I was a big fan of Jim Carrey when I, he first rose in the nineties. So I still like um, him. he's very talented. Yeah. He's done you know numerous duds, but still like him. Here's the thing I don't seem to get about Sonic, and you haven't really gotten into this too much. Well, I mean, you, you, here, here's the story: is yeah, please, uh, yeah. Uh, Sonic has to hit the road. He has to go. He accidentally dropped his bag of magic rings on the top of a tower in San Francisco. He opened up a portal and actually mm-hmm. dropped his rings through. Mm-hmm. And since he doesn't know how to get, even though he's super fast, he doesn't know how to get there, so James Marsden has to drive him there in a truck, and it's a road movie where they learn the power of friendship. So it's a and movie wanna, in which... I don't want to throw up on my lap. Um, I remember when I was um, <clears throat> in college, and uh, I was at a comic book store, and I found out that they had made not only an action figure of The Flash, mm-hmm. which makes sense. He's a superhero. Yeah, I they, want an action get, figure get, of The Flash. They got toys. Why not? There was a version of the action figure for The Flash in which he came with a motorcycle. And I remember <laughs> that, thinking... That better be a damn fast motorcycle. Right? He does not need that motorcycle. That's not a thing. So the idea of getting Sonic the Hedgehog, who is as fast as The Flash, mm. and putting him in a car... Yeah. Is the entire time just him being bored at how slow it is and going out of his mind and like well that the th- plotting to kill James Marsden because he's not driving fast enough? They they try to set up Sonic the Hedgehog as if he you know because he's moving so fast like he has a little bit of ADD. He uh, mm. he learns about a bucket list like things you want to do before you die and he writes one up real fast and does like eight of them right away in a bar. Yeah, it's like one of the things I want to start a bar fight. Okay, let's start a bar fight just now. The voice acting and sort of the manic energy that the screenwriters are clearly reaching for aren't on the screen. Mm. It's frustratingly sedate. If I'm going to see Sonic the Hedgehog and you're going to set him up as this sort of like character who's too fast to live, get an actor who can talk really, really fast. Get the Micro Machines guy. Yeah, John Mashita is that guy's name. Uh, Let me look up the actor who played the voice of of Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, the actual voice of the movie. Yeah, yeah. You can do it. His name is Ben Schwartz. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ben Schwartz doesn't have that kind of manic energy. Mm. I'm thinking of the guy who played the voice of Max in the Sam and Max cartoon. Okay. That's what you need in Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. Just, just a kind hyperactive of, kid voice. Hi, yeah, hyperactive maniac. Uh, uh, how is James Marsden? It seems like he's... James Marsden is a really funny, interesting actor, but mm-hmm. he has to play like... The well, straight guy so often, which is weird. He's given so little here that, you know, he does what he can. He does what he can to, to, to add some kind of personality or peculiarity to this character, but he's completely underwritten. Did, did you ever see the movie he did Hop, where it was like him... Him and a CGI bunny. Yeah. Same thing, I guess. I guess that's a niche. 
<laughs> they ever make the Smurfs three? I guess we can finally. They did. Well, okay, they ever make the Smurfs four? I guess. <laughs> there was a third Smurfs film. Yeah, but that one's not canon. Yeah, it is. No, because there was the, the two Smurfs. With, there was a Smurfs two, and there, there was, was Smurfs colon the Lost Village. Yeah, but the first two was mm-hmm. with the Snur- the Smurfs, the Smurfs, and uh, Neil Patrick Harris and mm-hmm. Hank Azaria, and then the the. The third one had nothing to do with those, right? Wasn't it just strictly no, it was, animated? No, it, it was smir- Yeah, it was just animated. Yeah, I, th- I don't think things. that one's canon. Smir- but they didn't meet the human. They didn't go into the human world. Yeah, it's just completely in the. But isn't it like world. a different cast or, or same characters? Same. I know it's same man, characters, same but studio. Batman's the same characters. Not always the same continuity. You know what? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It could be. Thank you. Thank I'd rather you not think about the Smurfs films. Why aren't you doing your research let's, with me? Let's get back to the Sonic the Hedgehog film. Please. <laughs> Yeah, uh, every decision feels really over, overwritten. Mm. Uh, it, it's just the 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 worst kind of mediocre film. A film that feels like it was it exists only to be a product. I feel like I should have been drinking cherry coke and mm-hmm. eating too much popcorn. I feel like there's this like desire. Mm. I don't know if it's a because de- I remember back when this kind mm. of animated movie, this kind of. Mm. Uh, we're just gonna take the animated thing you like and put it in the real world, yeah, or whatever. Like I, I think like the earliest example I can think of that was like kind of like what you wanted, but actually it's gonna suck. Was uh, Masters of the Universe, where we're gonna take He Man oh, uh, and put him in like suburbia, but we're gonna have we're gonna have the Canon Film Group do it, so yeah. they don't have the budget to do anything. He Man, actually, that movie is like more based off of Jack Kirby's New Gods, which actually makes sense that it went to mm. real world. Like if you look at like okay, He Man is Orion, Skeletor is Dark Side, mm. Blade is. Uh, What's his next? Steppenwolf from Justice League, all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, it starts to make more sense. But everyone at the time was just like, "This is not what we wanted. Why do you? Why do you put in the cool stuff in the real world where everything sucks? Like, we don't want to be in the real world. We want to mm-hmm. go. And then we just keep committing to that. And I don't know why we think like, yeah, the <laughs> Smurfs. You know, we really want to see the Smurfs in the real world uh-huh. playing Guitar Hero." And really messing up some guy's like big marketing meeting at a department store. Like that's that's <laughs> yeah, what the, that's the sweet spot. That's what everyone wants. It's it's I never understood why that I, was a thing. I'm okay with, you know, watching a movie where He Man is on Earth. That's okay. He Man and a couple of his buddies, and they're they're sort of like this fish out of water thing. Yeah. The problem is He Man then becomes a supporting character in his own story. Yeah. And we have to have to kind of by necessity of that structure start focusing on some dull ass human characters. Beastmaster in, through the portal of time. Beastmaster through the, in, in He Man there was the Courtney Cox character that you know, and and Robert and uh, Tom Paris uh, from <laughs> Oh Boy shit that was Tom, was Tom Paris, Paris. Was Ro- Robert God Duncan McNeil yeah it was Tom, Tom Paris never, was he had such different hair I never really put that together <laughs> it was totally Tom Paris oh my god uh, oh my god can the, we do a spin off podcast called Totally Tom Paris Totally Tom Paris <laughs> <laughs> Voyager and it's just everything from Tom Paris's point of view oh god sure um yeah and they even did that with with thor oh, it's yeah. like i can't decide if i want to do this sort of like completely bizonkers everybody wears a stupid hat set in cgi world adventure story about you know vying for the royal throne in fantasy land mm-hmm. or 
let's go to a little set that we built out in the middle of New Mexico or wherever it was and focus on human characters. I feel like it's it's a combination of two things. Well, it's a combination of three things now. I think the initial combination of two things is it's cheaper to set it in the real world and come yeah. up with all these sets. Fair enough. I, I get it. Like mm. I'm not stupid. I get it. Uh, the, the other idea I think that originally started this was... Uh, this is so fucking weird that if you're not already on board, we need to ground it somehow. Yeah. And the easiest way we can think to do that is draw a contrast mm-hmm. between this and the real world by putting the fantasy thing in the real world so that the real world has to acclimate to it and vice versa. Yeah. Sometimes that can work, but it's kind of hard because you run into the same fish well, water jokes over and over again. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like... It's just we've just been doing it for so long that we're doing it because that's the kind of movie we remember seeing as a kid. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because it's everyone, a good idea. Well, everyone says it's a blast from the '90s. Yeah, it's the blast from the suckiest crap from the '90s. <laughs> Jesus. Um, oh, I saw a film a couple of years ago. It was maybe two years ago called Ratchet and Clank, which oh, yeah. was an animated film also based on a video game, and it was all, also had a, a furry critter, and his best friend was a little robot, and they went on adventures. It was a Sassy comedy film. Pretty forgettable. Not very good. One of the biggest bombs ever. Yeah. I saw a lot it, of money on it. Didn't make money. I saw it like on a Saturday matinee. It's one of the only films I saw by myself in the theater. Opening weekend, um, too. Like Saturday oh, opening, matinee. Oh, Saturday yeah. matinee opening weekend. For kids. I was, yeah. For kids. And I, was the I, saw, I saw Arctic Dogs in the theater was full on a Saturday yeah. morning yeah. in a theater. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe having like a fully animated Sonic the Hedgehog CGI film... Where it's set in Sonic's land, and he fights, you know, has all of his furry com- critter companions around him, you know, Knuckles and whoever the, whoever else they were, Tails, uh, Tails. And they fought. I don't know the others. And they fought a cartoon version of Doctor Robotnik. That's too wild. That's too weird. Mm. Kids would be on board for that. But you're not going to get the yeah. added revenue of getting their parents to sit down and watch it with them. Oh, and you're not going to get that coveted uh, adolescent audience who's curious about it, nor are you going to get the sonic nostalgia junkie adults who would go to see it by themselves anyway. I literally don't see why the road trip with James Marsden because is, of, is more appealing than that. I think I the live action just has a little bit more maybe aesthetic credibility. <laughs> It's called Sonic the Hedgehog. I know, it's still called Sonic the Hedgehog. And they cast, you know, a few notable stars, like James Marsden and Jim Carrey and Tika Sumter, if you know Tika Sumter. Yeah. Um, I, there's, there's no reason does everyone for le- this. Does everyone learn a valuable lesson? Is the treasure the friendship we made along the way? The treasure is the friendship we made, friendships we made along okay, the way. There's a lot cool. of references to the game that I... Does that any vaguely point, understood? Do they hint at a larger Sega Genesis universe? Has anyone become an altered beast at some point? No, nobody comes an altered beast. There's no Golden Axe. Um, there's no, I don't know, other Sega games. I was a Nintendo oh, kid. God, what was that? <laughs> uh, there's no, like, good version of Aladdin. Or, like, <laughs> good version of Jurassic Park, the game. We're not, it's just, no. no Although there is, there is a cameo from another one of the, the furry critters. Cool. One of his buddies. That's great. Um, it, remember it's, that? It's remember back a... when they would have like <laughs> a, the same game on the Super NES and Sega Genesis, but it would be totally different for no good reason. Uh, I'm, I'm imagine there's like licensing reasons and what have you. Also, the games were designed differently; they were controlled differently. Not that differently. I, I never like, got Aladdin was pretty straightforward either way. I, I never got used to the Genesis control. I didn't have a Genesis in my home. Right. I'm not a Sega kid. 
I didn't have a game. Oh, so this here. is why you don't like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, it's because you were denied I, I, as a I child. Was, I, was, I was denied Sega Genesis. I had a Super Nintendo. I was so deprived uh, that I didn't have a Sega Genesis <laughs> in my home. I was also a Super Nintendo kid. Although uh, a couple of my friends had Game Gears, and those things were cool. Actually, yeah. The yeah. full color. Full uh, color por- portable video game system. Drained batteries like nobody's business. Oh, yeah. Not as, bad as, this, not as bad as the Atari Nomad. Oh, no, wait, the, the Sega Nomad. It was the, the Atari Lynx. The Atari was the, Lynx was that The Atari one. Lynx was the first one, and that was, like, it had it had a backlight. Yeah. It was in full color. It had some pretty fun games on it. Yeah, Batman Returns is pretty cool on it. One of my, one of my friends in junior high school had a, a, an Atari Lynx, and he let me play it for a little bit, and that nice. was really, really fun. They had almost no games for it. The one that was a great idea was the Sega Nomad, because that was just a portable Genesis. You can oh, take your actual Genesis was that the cartridge. One where, did it have like a fold-up screen? It was like a little. Or am I thinking of the PlayStation? I think you're thinking of the. I think that they did a like a late like when the PlayStation Two was out. They came out with a PlayStation One that had like a fold-up TV screen installed. Oh, I think in you it. might be thinking about that. No, no, this this was it looked a lot like the the. Sega Game Gear, but mm. it was like a little thicker because it had to have a full cartridge in the back. But yeah, mm. you could just take all your. This is late in the game. It's like late nineties. Mm. Take any Sega Genesis cartridge, boom, handheld. That's perfect. Great idea. Why didn't we do that before? It's a brilliant. I'm, I'm idea. still waiting for like and any of these companies to come up with like a, Nintendo, especially mm. come up with like one single master console that plays every single type of game that they've published up to that point. Well, that was the so idea of the... Vir- they have that. It's called the Virtual Library. Yeah, but they don't They don't have every game. No, and there's if, a lot of games that don't have for of, a variety of And if you're reasons, one of those sticklers who never you know, sold off your you know, 8-bit NES cartridge of Karnoff... Oh, so you want, oh, so you want like the, something the with actual a port, hard like drive. Ports yeah. for every single... every, Including Virtual Boy. You know, oh, just put, put it all in there. <laughs> I'm sure someone has put that together in their in their yeah some some, closet, some their, enterprising engineer yeah. has built something like that I'm sure. Right. Um, mm. So in the end, Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Sonic the, is it the best video game movie ever? No. <laughs> <laughs> what is what it's, is the best video game movie ever? Uh, well, I still like that Professor Layton and the Mystery of the the Eternal Flame. What was the title? Uh, of that Professor one? Layton and the Eternal Diva. And the Eternal Diva. That's that's, a, that's an anime film. It's that's a, just a delightful little mm-hmm. questy mystery type movie about a, a, really de- a detective and his boy sidekick. It's really it, good. It had a theatrical release in America, mm. but it was like really tiny and nobody saw yeah, it. Yeah, like which an, is a it, damn shame because it's gorgeously animated. Like it's really yeah, good. It's an, an animated film. Um, I feel like video games on the whole are, are just improving. For the mm. longest time, we had to hold up films like Resident Evil and Mortal Kombat as great movies. <laughs> Mortal Kombat Com- comparison. Yeah. <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Is not a good movie. It's not. It's not. It's I, uh, not. I, I'll fight you on that. It's not a good movie. It's it's an okay kids kung fu matinee. Yeah, that's about as far as I'm going to go with Mortal Kombat. Hey, 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 kids who liked watching Mortal Kombat, watch Enter the Dragon. It's so much better. You want a better version of that? That's even based on a video game. Watch DOA Dead or Alive. Okay, yeah. But here's what I'm going to say. I posted online today. I with Eric online. Roberts with his magical fight sunglasses. And again, I haven't seen Sonic the Hedgehog, mm. and I can't like professionally review Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. in good conscience. So, I okay, I haven't seen that one. But I've seen most of the major video game adaptations, and I posted on Twitter today, mm. like, um, I, for the record, 
the best video game movie is still Professor Layton and mm. the Eternal Diva. To which someone replied, you spelled Mortal Kombat wrong. Mm. To which I replied, so did the makers of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the com- best zinger I've done in so long. it's combat with a K. <laughs> so we can stop holding up Mortal Kombat. Uh, over the years, we've sort of been very slowly honing in on what makes a good video game movie. And there's a few. Uh, they, they dumped a lot of production value into Warcraft. I think that's a bad movie, but at least, you know, it has ambition. Uh, I, I don't however think it's, misguided it might be. I don't think it's bad. I don't. Th- I think that's one that probably needed to be a miniseries just because they tried to cram so much into one yeah, film. Maybe so. Everything felt a little superficial, but and I actually, and, I actually don't dislike that movie. And actors I admire, like Ben Foster and Paula Patton. Yeah. Um, uh, then finally, uh, we had uh, the one-two punch of Tomb Raider and Rampage, two mm-hmm. solid three-star movies. Yeah, rock solid. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. even give to- Tomb Raider a three and a half, just because mm-hmm. I think the action's really good, and Elisa Vikander is a solid lead. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, Rampage is stupid fun. It's stupid fun. It's, it's yeah. really fun. They, like they, it's, they really, what are the better American kaiju movies? I think they they finally understood that most video games are kind of ripping off the premises from like cheesy B movies anyway. So if we're gonna make them into movies, just make them cheesy B movies again. Yeah. Uh, Great. Better yeah. than what they did with Assassin's Creed, where they tried to take it all seriously, oh, not realizing Barfarama, the plot's stupid. Geez. Anyway, uh, so so, uh, so so Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, it's it. it I, you're not going to be clawing your face off in outrage. It's again another it's, good Rotten Tomatoes. Quote. It's ple- yeah, it's pleasant <laughs> enough, I suppose. But why? <laughs> so from from that, listen. I, I think we're done talking mm-hmm. about a film in which an adorable animated creature from another world comes to our planet and befriends someone, and together they have to go on a trip to try to figure out how to get that little creature back to its home planet while a secret government organization Mm. uh, tries to get the creature back. I think we're done talking about that. So let's talk about Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon, (laughs) which is about an adorable creature from outer space who comes to this planet and befriends someone and they have to go on a road trip and run from an evil government organization trying to to get the alien back. To be fair, Farmageddon is very openly an E.T. knockoff. Uh, They're they're just sort of imitating that. Now, um, this is the latest film from Ardman Animation. Uh, Ardman Animation has an excellent track record of feature films. They made a bunch of shorts in the 90s and won Academy Awards for them. A lot of Academy Uh, Awards. They won Academy Awards for most of their Wallace and Gromit uh, cartoons. Mm. And the one uh, Academy Award they lost to, like the Wallace and Gromit short didn't win, another Ardman short one called Creature Comforts, which is a truly Mm. adorable work of animation. And and A Matter of Love and Death also didn't win. Oh, did it really? Yeah. Um, For a long time, that was the the running gag. Then they they moved into feature films in 2000 with a film called Chicken Run, uh, which is quite good. Uh, It still holds up pretty well. Then they did a Wallace and Gromit feature film, which is quite good. Then they did Flushed Away, and I think that lost some of their goodwill because that one's just any way you look at it, not a good film. All their other shorts and features up until that point mm-hmm. had been uh, stop motion animation and really gorgeous, really attractive, Mat- cute, meticulously designed. Uh, and they did have a master aesthetic of these characters with oversized hands and mouths, but like little tiny beady eyes. You could always tell an art man animation. Mm-hmm. And then when they did flushed away, they decided to experiment with doing CG animation and they had not cracked that code yet. The mm-hmm. m- movie looks terrible. The movie looks so bad well, you can't even get into the story. It like, takes place in a sewer, and yeah. it's about sewer rats. And okay, fine, that's fine premise. Yeah, Ratatouille you know. got away with it. Why mm. not flushed away? But yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Seriously though, it's just you watch it, and like there are issues with the environments mm. and the frame rate, and it just it loses a lot of the meticulous 
craft that yeah. you expect from art and animation. Yeah. But then they went back to stop motion mostly. No, they, the, the, their next film was another CGI film. It was called Arthur Christmas, which you, like, you talk about a lot. I feel like Wallace and Gromit was actually between Flushed Away and Arthur Christmas. No, it wasn't, but, uh, the, Flushed Away was after Wallace and Gromit. Was it really? It was the, oh, year, the year after. Well, in any case, yeah. Then they did Arthur Christmas, which is actually a great CG animated mm-hmm. film. Um, it's a, I think it's a true Christmas classic. It's about Santa Claus's... Um, Sort of family, His well, it's, 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 a family it's, of, San, of people yeah. named Santa Claus. Yeah, it's about the older Santa, the current Santa, and then his two Santa sons. One of whom is really good at his job. The other one means well, but that's about as far mm. as we'll take that. And uh, it's great. It, I think mm. it's a Christmas classic. I think everyone should watch it. It's really funny. It's really mm. sweet. It's great. And then but, they went back to stop motion for some, some really great films. They went back to stop motion. And at this point, people had just sort of started to dismiss Ardman, which is b- bizarre because they came out with Pirates, a Band of Misfits. Which is uh, one of the funniest yeah. movies of the 2010s. And that's, I'm not exaggerating, it's in my top 10. It is. Funniest movies of the decade. It's bloody hilarious. It's about... Uh, Polite Pirates. I le- only learned just the other day that the original title in England was The Pirates! Exclamation point. In an adventure with scientists! Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, that was the British title yeah. in America. It was, it was the, Pirates, the Pirates! Band of Misfits. Band of Misfits, which is fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's about very polite pirates led by a very vain pirate played by Hugh Grant. Uh, it's Please seek it out. It's so hilarious. It's the best. Uh, then they made the, sh- the first Sean the Sheep movie, which is also hilarious. That is pure cinema because yeah. it is a, a comedic story about sheep from an Irish farm mm. who end up having to go into the city to find their uh, their owner who has lost his memory. Uh, yeah. And it's told without any words whatsoever. It's basically a Jacques Tati film, yeah. and it is also one of the funniest movies mm. of the decade. I am talking top <laughs> ten here. Uh, and it's just, you watch the way they build and develop jokes in the Shaun the Sheep movie. Mm. It's a master class in comedy. Like, it's really good. Mm. The pirates, they deal a lot with, like, you know, zingers it's, it's, and one-liners, and it's just a different kind of humor. It's slapstick. There's yeah. a sword fight with Queen Victoria. Yeah, and it's, it's absolutely it's, hilarious from start to finish. Mm. But Sean the Sheep movie is a totally different aesthetic. And it is genius filmmaking, and I really I would tell anyone to watch it to learn just how to tell a story visually. Like, mm. it's just so damn good. And then they did which, Early Man, which, which, which I missed. Uh Early Man is also quite good. It's a, a slapstick caveman farce, very much in the vein. Of, it's like a kid-friendly version of the Carry On movies, if you've seen any of the Carry On films from England. I've actually never seen them, and I wonder oh, yeah. how many Americans actually have. I don't think... They're, they're a little bit of a cultural oddity specific to England. D- describe them, please, for Americans, because they're, uh, they're a big institution I, I think, overseas. I think the first one really. might have been Carry On Nurse, and uh, yeah, there was a whole series of these films that began with the phrase Carry On, and uh, they were body farces that were sort of got most of their uh, most of their mileage from really blue humor. No, they weren't outright uh, like pornographic, like some or you know, a lot of nudity and sex. They but were naughty. They're, they're, yeah, there were naughty, a lot of titillating jokes about mm-hmm. sex, and uh, and each one would be really, a different really block of broad, life, yeah, really broad, era. really dumb. Uh, the, yeah. uh, the one I saw was uh, Carry On Cleo, which is about Cleopatra, but also there's cavemen, so there's no like historical accuracy <laughs> whatsoever. But yeah, Early Man has that sort of feel to it. It's about a group of cavemen who sort of live in complete peace through for generations and generations uh, in their one little lush valley where a meteor has landed. It turns out that they were the inventors of soccer. 
The first soccer ball was the Ooh. meteor that struck their valley. Oh, that's kind of it's like fun. it's oh, it's too hot to touch. Oh, touch it with my foot. Oh gosh. Oh, oh, let me kick it through those goalposts, and hence football is born. That's cute. And uh, it turns out so much time has passed that the Bronze Age has come around without them, and now the the Bronze Age people and the caveman challenge each other to a soccer match. Why is it it's that, a sports movie? Why is that's really cute, by the way? But why is it that every time we do a movie about cavemen, we mm. just end up getting bored and doing another timeline? Remember when, like, I think it was like Harold Ramis's last movie behind the camera was Year, year One. One, yeah. Where it starts I didn't out, see Year One. It's like Michael Sarah and Jack, Jack Black are cavemen. Yeah. But then they just walk out of their hometown and they're in ancient Rome. And I'm like, that's not how history works. You just cut ahead thousands and thousands Look, of years. We had Quest for Fire. We had Clan of the, Clave, Clan of the Cave Bear. What are we going to do next? Well, we had Caveman with Ringo Starr. Oh, there's ca- of course. There was a 10 million years BC. Was it 10 million or 10,000? There was a film called 10,000 BC. It was 10,000 BC. The Roland Emmerich film. No, no, I'm talking about the one with Raquel Welch. Oh, um. Oh, what was that one called? I'm going to look it up. Hang on. Raquel. Wow. This is one of those movies. One of bikini, yeah. This is one of those movies that, like, everyone. One million years BC. One million years BC. This is one of those movies that everyone knew for about 10 years, and then the next generation never heard about it. No. Like, it never got around. Like, you might have seen, like, a picture of Raquel Welch in a fur bikini, but that's it. You had no context. From the Shawshank Redemption. That's probably probably where people know it from. Yeah. Yeah, it's from the the film One Million Years BC. I had a little brain fart there. But yeah, now they're back. Uh, our Ardman Animation is back with a sequel to Shaun the Sheep called Farmageddon, a Shaun the Sheep movie. And it's another film that is told completely without words. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there are some dialogue scenes where people talk, but they just sort of like mutter gibberish. Just go to... Yeah. And then there's a space alien that says a few like alien words and, and, a, and a few English words here and there. Yeah, but it's still not. It's still, it's, it's not dialogue driven yeah. at all. There's no. There's um, no information conveyed via dialogue. But we open up. We find uh, Sean the sheep. Sean the sheep is the cleverest of the sheep and is able to get uh, the games going when the sheep get bored. But then there's the the harsh warden of their yard who is the dog in the knit cap who keeps on telling him that telling the sheep that there are too many rules. Yeah. So like it starts off with the, mm. the Sean the sheep. You see like a UFO in the sky. Mm. Turns out Sean the sheep was playing frisbee. Yep. And uh, the frisbee gets like stuck in the tractor and it's a problem. So the dog puts up a no frisbee sign. And then the sheep like try to do all these other fun things because they're bored. Yeah. Like that's how both of these movies begin. The sheep are bored. There's nothing to do. Mm. They graze and then they go back to the barn. So Sean gets bored. He's a young sheep who's like full of ideas and adventure. He's basically Luca. (laughs) <laughs> Luca, get off the counter. Sean, get off the frisbee. Yeah, Sean, however, is clever and figures out how to like mail order pizzas and yeah, what have you. Um, and uh, nearby, uh, an alien ship has landed, and the alien has escaped and has started kind of getting Sean in trouble for things Sean didn't even do this time. So Sean finds it, and I just want to say right now. Mm-hmm. This might be the cutest alien I've ever seen in a movie. It, it, it's like it's like a little blue puppy with a sock for a body. Yeah, he doesn't have legs. It almost looks like a bottom, like the bottom of his, is a ghost. Yeah, but he's got these really cute, like prehensile rabbit ears, and it's got this like kind of like pink and purple bisexual lighting thing on yeah, it. Yeah. That, like it's. And it's just got a cute expression. It makes cute faces. <laughs> it's and got cute little, cute little teeth. You want to take care of this thing, mm. like this suit. Like ET is gross. Can we admit this? Can we admit yeah, that oh, ET yeah. is a weird looking alien? And he should be. Yeah, I'm e- fine with that. He's an alien. He shouldn't look human. E- but e- like ET looks like a pile of discarded skin tags. Th- he looks terrible. Before 
by the way. But like before well, I'm, ET I'm right. <laughs> before ET came out, people didn't have any faith in ET. Yeah. Like, at all. Like, Steven Spielberg was coming off of, like, 1941. And, like, mm-hmm. yeah, Raiders was a hit, but it, it's not a guarantee anymore that everything Spielberg does will turn to gold. Mm-hmm. And he's got this weird story about a kid befriending a monster that looks like a pile of discarded skin tags. <laughs> and, like, Eminem didn't want to be associated with it. That's why there are Reese's Pieces in the movies mm-hmm. instead of Eminem's. And, like, people were just like, it looks weird. I don't think kids are going to like that. And mm-hmm. sure enough, they did because they did the work in the movie. Mm-hmm. But if you only just saw a picture of the thing mm. you would say to yourself gross mm. but if you only see a picture of the alien from Farmageddon you're just like oh, I want the Funko Pop of that <laughs> that's adorable mm. it's so much cuter than Baby Yoda uh, it's 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 adorable uh, Sean of course wants to take care of it Sean very cleverly uh, puts together the where the alien ship is mm-hmm. uh, and they have to go on a little road to- trip but it's only like across the county they have to go to the pizza shop. Yeah, yeah that, which is pretty far yeah. for a sheep, but really not that bad. Well, and it's it's great because you have to figure out you know, how is a, a sheep and a space alien going to traverse this short distance. Right. So that's a big struggle, and it's I think it's very quaint. I think that's the strength of most of Ardman's films, is that mm. they even the big high-octane ones tend to feel a little bit quaint. Yeah. Uh, and I adore that. It's, it's Sean the Sheep especially. The first Sean the Sheep especially. This one's a little bit more expansive. There's also... Just like an E.T., this cadre of uh, evil government agents that are out to find the UFO. Just sort of generically evil. They don't yeah. actually want to kill it or anything like that, mm. but clearly it would prevent it from mm. going home to its parents, which there it is, wants to do. There is a really funny robot that's with them whose body is a filing cabinet. Yeah, it looks uh, a lot like Wally, actually. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And th- which prov- that robot provided the funniest gag in the movie for me. Is, where, it, when um, it, is it when it poops? It's not when it poops. There's uh, one where it's so scared because an alien shows up <laughs> that it just starts printing out paper in, in the back of it. Which that, is, that was, was kind of Which good. is easily the funniest poop joke I've seen in a movie in a really long time. There, there, no, there's a bit where uh, the there was a bunch of rubble following an explosion and the, the robot's head peeked up. It was sort of like looking around like at the rubble. It was like, and we saw its hand come out of the rubble and it was feeling around and then we saw its headless body roll up from off screen and it <laughs> freaks the hell out. Like, ah! <laughs> For me, there's a great mm. joke in the, with that mm. thing where um, they all they end up like they get they get the UFO and they fly mm. into space, but then the UFO crashes back on Earth, and mm. um, the Wally robot is actually connected to it, not unlike Wally. And there's a bit where they're re-entering, and as you know, like when you re-enter the atmosphere, you build up a lot of heat. Mm. Uh, so and they cut to the robot on the back of the UFO and it's getting real hot and the robot pulls out a hanky and wipes its forehead <laughs> which A is funny because it shouldn't be sweating mm-hmm. but the second part of the joke is it wipes its forehead and then, and then the it, handkerchief explodes it, it and fire, on fire which is just this little mm-hmm. that's Ardman right there it's mm-hmm. these little cute things where it's like yeah it's hot you'd wipe your forehead wouldn't you yeah, yeah. also it would be on fire like they think about that one thing that like is so quaint it mm-hmm. shouldn't be in the movie and then you go that extra step yeah. with it and that's the urban yeah, way. The, the in one of the early gags is when all of the the sheep are acting out. Remember, it's uh, you can't play here anymore. I'm going to lock you in the barn. Yeah, and and they the dog locks the barn and starts to walk away. Just pauses for a minute, rolls his eyes, turns around, throws the door open, and reaches into the barn and pulls out a whole barbecue that they had somehow just fired <laughs> up. <laughs> this cute little. Little unexpected gag. Uh, and, yeah, that's the kind of gag that Ardman puts in, these cute little visual moments. My only thing with this movie, mm. and I think I think if this movie had come out first, I would just think it's brilliant. Mm. 
I do think it's not as funny as the original Shaun the Sheep movie. I think because it, it is so like focused on not just a plot, but a plot that is kind of familiar. Really familiar. Yeah, yeah, it's familiar not just because it's E.T., but because so many things have ripped off E.T. already mm-hmm. that they're not really adding anything new to this. They're just putting the Ardman spin on it. Mm-hmm. That leaves it feeling a little less inspired overall. Mm-hmm. It's not as inspired as the original, but it is unbelievably sweet. And mm-hmm. when the jokes are funny, the jokes are extremely funny mm-hmm. um it's just that sometimes the jokes are merely fine mm-hmm. but um i like it a lot and it's a damn shame this is on netflix well this we heard that this was coming we're big fans of the first Shaun the sheep and yeah. all of Ardman films in general so uh late last year they said uh, that it was coming to theaters yeah, pretty was, soon the first Shaun the sheep movie was in theaters it wasn't a huge release but it made money and so we were looking for it and it just sort of slipped past yeah. And then we found out that it was only released in England, and only now is it getting uh, distribution in America, and it's only on Netflix. Which, again, Netflix isn't necessarily without prestige, but when it's dumped onto Netflix without any fanfare, that sucks. Yeah. A feature film from Ardman, too. Yeah, that deserves, at the very least, mm. like a little bit more awareness. There should be oh, some more advertising. Yeah. Where people should know this is out there, because this is a really cute film. If you had to, like, if you would recommend to families... Mm. And I actually don't know where you're going to lean on this. <laughs> you have two movies you can mm. see right now about little aliens trying to get back to their hometown. Uh-huh. Should they go see Sonic the Hedgehog or should they stay home and watch Farmageddon? Should stay home and watch Farmageddon. There you go. It's the superior film. Yeah, it's 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 sweet. It's pleasant. It's good for everyone. Um, it's not as good as the first because I think because it lacks that sort of essential quaintness, like elements of that essential quaintness. Where the, the humor is still kind of fun, but yeah, the story is is a little too action-packed. Mm. Um, I wish the, the entire film had been the B-plot about the farmer starting his own alien theme park. Oh my god, and when he that's, opens the theme park... That, and that's and where the title just... comes from. It's from, it's called, he calls his theme park Farmageddon, because he wants to raise money for a new thresher. Yeah, and... That's, and, that's the level we should have stayed on. And there's, there's, and you finally see, like, what his idea of the theme park was, mm. and it's... Such crap. It's like, <laughs> see the moon! And, then, and it's an arrow pointing up. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, for, the original is a comedy classic. This one is merely an amusing follow-up, but mm-hmm. it is worth watching. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, it was Thanksgiving weekend. Yep, or your Valentine's weekend. Valentine's weekend. <laughs> wrong wrong holiday. It's one forty in the morning. All I'm right. cutting myself some slack. Okay. It was Valentine's weekend. That's right. And there were indeed some romantic films mm. uh, that were released. Uh, like, like Sonic the Hedgehog. Like Sonic um, the Hedgehog, of course. Uh, mm. Does Sonic the Hedgehog have a love interest, or is it only James Mars and Antica yeah. Sumter? Just, and they're already married, so it's, there's no love story aspect. Uh, marriage is a love story. Yeah, uh, on, ongoing. I don't like that movies like have taught film, us that like, marriage is the end of love. Like that, film, like that film Marriage Story. It's a very loving movie. No, I, I really don't like that movies have taught us that when you get married, your story is over. That's crap. That's, <laughs> so oh, many... that's, that's not movies. That's going back to you know ancient theater where know, the comedies would end with a marriage. That's but fine, yeah. but like it, we need more stories about marriage, I think, yeah, and how yeah, marriage but, can be interesting and mm. marriage has conflict and, <clears throat> you're, you know, it's so important. It's usually so positive on this is 40. That's about yeah. just 
the continuing travails of marriage. Yeah, it's bougie as hell, but the actual well, like as hell. the actual like you know the stuff mm. about reaching middle age, being married for an extended period of time. Mm. When that stuff is actually wry and insightful, but yeah. all the stuff about money is bullshit mm. in that movie. Um, but yeah, so there are a couple of romantic movies. Uh, one of which I didn't see. So let's talk about this one. Tell me mm. about the photograph. Uh, the photograph is a film from Stella Maggie, Maggie or Maggie. Okay. Uh, and it is about a, it's a love story. It's a drama film about a love story between a young reporter played by Lakeith Stanfield and a photography curator played by Issa Rae. And uh, it starts with uh, the Lakeith Stanfield character interviewing an old man about uh, sort of life in Louisiana and how he, his life related to. A famous photographer who has recently passed away. And it turns out this famous photographer's photos are in the photo archive of Issa Rae. Issa Rae is also this famous photographer's daughter. Mm. And he starts, uh, Lakeith Stanfield starts looking through the photos, starts talking to Issa Rae, and of course they have an instant attraction to one another because they're fall down gorgeous people. <laughs> uh, and this is intercut with the story of. Uh, the Issa Rae character's mother when she was a teenager in Louisiana and how she first came to become a photography enthusiast, how that affected her romantic life and uh, her early years with Issa Rae when she was like maybe four years old. Okay. And the relationship she had with uh, Issa Rae's father. This is a gorgeously passionate movie where there is just emotion dripping from every single scene. Wow. Uh, there's a few scenes, like a few lighter scenes where it's just sort of light banter, but this film is not laying up. It's not going to let you have a little bit, a few moments of fluff. This film is incredibly earnest in a way that I appreciate. Hmm. The love story between these two characters is not one of those star-crossed loves. It's about two professionals who are trying to make it work. There's, uh, I, I always appreciate the love stories that actually take into account like the lifestyles and vocations of the people around them. That's actually mm. one of the things I like about Blue is the Warmest Color. Mm. Uh, it's actually the later scenes where they're talking about like trying to get jobs and like seeing each other as like through their work environments. It's weird how many romantic stories, especially romantic comedies, but mm-hmm. how many romantic stories where people's jobs are kind of completely irrelevant. Well, and except also, maybe they'll get in the way for scheduling. Like that's it. Yeah. Like also like halfway through the movie where it's already been established that they have jobs and we can kind of take for granted that they're going to the jobs, but we don't see them going to those jobs anymore. Yeah. We, we only ever see them like in their romantic highs or lows. Like, well, I mean, granted some people's jobs, Jobs are just their jobs and they sort of zone out and then go mm. back home and live their lives. But a lot of people, you know, your lives are integrated into your jobs. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you have any sort of passion about it. Mm. So, yeah, it was always weird for me when, mm. like, for example, there's like a deleted scene in Four Weddings and a Funeral mm. where uh, Hugh Grant is just explaining who all of his friends are and what they do for a living. Mm. And apparently the reason they shot that scene in the first place was because, like, Richard Curtis or, or Mike Newell or... What, Mike Newell was the director. Well, I think Richard yeah. Curtis was working on it. But uh, uh, in any case, they were thinking, like, people might want to know this. This might be valuable information. Mm. And then they realized, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> like, at all. And that one makes sense, though, because you're only seeing them at, like, outside work events. Mm. So it really doesn't matter what they do. 
but most stories take place in just people's lives. Yeah, yeah. and it's like it'd be like if you did the wedding singer and you never found out what he did for a living. Like you can't like the wedding singer is really deeply incorporated into wedding singing. Into is, wedding singing is, is part of that movie. It's, it's called the movie. wedding singer. It's a pretty well structured movie overall. It's a good romantic comedy. So it's okay. <laughs> it's a good romantic yeah. comedy. But yeah, uh, the 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 photograph sets itself aside though because it is in- incredibly passionate. We do understand very deeply the relationships these people are having, and not just in sort of a drippy romantic sort of way. Uh, you know, Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Rae uh, clearly are falling in love, but they're adults already. They understand sort of the consequences of this. Mm. They're very... They've lived long enough that they can be sort of frank with each other, and they don't have to sort of play games or or lie or obfuscate. Uh, all of those things about traversing romances, you know, when you're in your early, early 20s, and we'll get to that in a second on a, <laughs> in another film uh, that we're about to review, but... I appreciated its maturity, and when we flash back to uh, the, the mom character when she was a teenager and the relationship she had with her, her own mother, Issa Rae's grandmother, you can sort of see that frankness, uh, that adult frankness taking hold in an earlier generation, and how that maybe unduly affected her ability to have a romance. Interesting. And uh, is it sad? I can't tell the vibe. Like, what's well, the overall tone? Like, what am I going? What am I going to leave the theater feeling? It, it 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 doesn't feel like that sort of typical Hollywood romance is the thing. Mm. There is that romantic catharsis. You do get that at the end, and there have you know the the releases and the confessions and the the misunderstandings that you might come to expect from this genre along the way. But at the end, it feels like a well earned relationship drama. I feel like when we go to romances, they go for they default to romantic comedy, you know, rom com. Mm-hmm. I feel like a, a proper romance is is a rare thing. Yeah, uh, which is why I think really liked Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which also opened on uh, in limited cities uh, yeah. on on Valentine's Day. Yeah, this is an earnest romance about two adult people uh, made by a woman uh, that I would encourage you to see, just because it it's kind of refreshing. Okay. Yeah. I just like Lakeith. I just like Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith Stanfield is, is great. He's great. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to mm. another film. Now, this one is actually a made-for-TV movie. Mm. Uh, this premiered, I think, on Freeform over the weekend, but then was like immediately put out onto Hulu. So, for most people, this is a Hulu original. Mm. Uh, and this is a film called The Thing About Harry, and it is really cute. It, it's it, such a cute romantic comedy. It, it's it's really cute. It's really sweet. It's completely expected. Yeah. It's downright banal. But this is a queer romance where the two lovers, uh, one is a gay man mm-hmm. and the other identifies as pansexual openly in the film, in dialogue. Yeah. And that... We can have this romance between a gay man and a pansexual man and have it be this expected and, to be perfectly frank, perfectly boring mm-hmm. is weirdly cathartic. Yeah. That, a, that we can have, that we've reached a point in filmmaking where we can just have a typical romantic comedy with a gay man and a pansexual man. Right. 
it is a little bit of a miniature revolution unto itself. And and we're starting to see more of this, like Love Simon. Love Simon. Was, I was, was going to bring up Love Simon. Was a movie yeah. as well. But like, yeah, there becomes this point in any genre mm. where it just starts getting comfy. Mm-hmm. You know, where you don't actually have to be great. You just have to, like, hit the beats and cast it really, really well. A really good example for me for the rom-com genre, just in general, is yeah. Two Weeks Notice with Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock. Okay. You ever seen Two Weeks Notice with Hugh uh, Grant and Sandra Bullock? I don't remember. Okay. I, I think I have, actually. All right. Hugh Grant is, uh, uh, you know, not a great boss. Sandra mm-hmm. Bullock gets herself hired by him as a personal assistant, but she gives him two weeks' notice, and only then does he realize he's kind of in love with her. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not much to it, really. Very formulaic. Charming as fuck. <laughs> like, just a really, just everything about yeah. it works, but there's just nothing special about it other yeah. than really good chemistry. That's this movie right here, mm-hmm. and what, it's cool that we, we're finally reaching that sort of plateau mm-hmm. where it can just be completely normalized. Mm-hmm. Where something else would have been seen as sort of just, like, risque. Or, right. or well, I'm, you know, I was I was or, reminded or unusual of unusual or of note. I was reminded of a few queer romances from the nineties, mm. and uh, I, kissing I, Jessica Stein, kissing uh, kiss me Guido, yeah. Jeffrey. Um, well, Jeffrey's not. Jeffrey's pretty good. Jeff, Jeffrey's okay. Um, it's it's notable for the Patrick Stewart performance. Well, that's true. Um, but I I feel like a lot of those movies tried to get a lot of mileage over the fact that it had gay characters at all. Yeah. And it assumed that the characters were interesting merely because they were gay, and a lot of these films didn't bother writing too much personality on top of that. Some of them were pretty good. Mm -hmm. I actually like Billy's Hollywood Screen Kiss. I don't think Um, I saw that one. But uh, there's nothing shocking about being gay, especially not anymore. Yeah. Nobody cares anymore. Well... Um, there are people who care, but there there are fewer and fewer every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but what uh, we have here is that in, within this formula, and very specifically, it's the when Harry met Sally formula, mm-hmm. where it's two characters who meet. There's tension. There's a romantic tension, but they, they decide they, to be they friends. U- they used to be enemies. Yeah, and then they decide to be friends, mm-hmm. even though there's now romantic tension. And then we follow them over the course of a few years mm-hmm. as they will, they won't, they kind their way dr- through dr- their relationship together and apart. And- um, but, and the thing, that, and again, it hits that formula in pretty much every single way, mm. but there's two things. One, that formula is great. <laughs> that formula works, mm. damn it. And two, these characters have lots of great personality. The two leads mm. are actually really well-constructed, nicely acted, yeah. um, kind of rich characters with a lot of positive and negative qualities that they call each other out on and then they eventually complement each other with, which is something that I think a lot of rom-coms kind of forget to do. I, I have a feeling, I'm, I'm listening to the actors do this dialogue, I have a feeling that this was supposed to be a lot more like quippy, a lot of the, the lines seemed like throw-off lines, and the, the, the actors kind of hammered in on them a little bit too hard. Mm. Uh it, it reminds me of screenplays I've written. <laughs> uh, so I, I have a feeling that this was supposed to be something a little bit more natural and ended up feeling a little bit more constructed because it's on free form and they have low budgets. They're clearly not shooting on you know a long schedule, which I think it's not like this Hallmark movie cheap, though. I want to make no, that clear. No, no, it, it feels like a real movie. It's a head and shoulders above Hallmark. Um, yeah. uh, for the record, but the- it does have a distinct corn flavor yeah. that you will you will get throughout. Uh, so for the record, mm-hmm. uh, our main characters are there's Sam. He's played by Jake Borelli from Grey's Anatomy. 
Uh, he, uh, he, when we meet him, he's in college and he's going back home uh, to an engagement party and uh, very much against his will, he agrees to drive someone back home with him. Yeah. Uh, and that person this is Harry, Harry, played by Nico Taro, who is by God handsome. <laughs> he's a magazine he's, model. He's like, wow, yeah. like, holy crap. So, uh, but in high school, he was Sam's bully. And it turns out it was like, Sam, you know, Sam is very anti-Harry in a lot of different ways. And when he starts hanging out with Harry, he realizes that, A, Harry was closeted in high school. He wasn't mm. comfortable with himself yet. And now he openly identifies mm. as pansexual. And they have a lot of chemistry. But also, Harry's pretty cool. Like he's smart, he's likable. He's, he's, but... kind, he's kind of a slob, and he, yeah. you know, he's he's a, a bit of a, a, a himbo. But yeah, uh, like he's he's got he's got commitment he, issues he... and things. But he's not a terrible human being. Mm. But the thing is, is that at the end of this first weekend, where they spend some time together and they get it really close, and they start wondering if maybe something can work together. Uh, Harry's girlfriend, who had just broken up with him, decides to get back together with him, and so they just don't speak to each other yeah, for a year. Yeah. Well, and, and that that's the film is a series of machinations that keep the two of them apart for a long time. But uh, it, a lot of times when you, you're in a movie, or especially when you're in a TV series, and there are machinations that keep two people who are obviously meant to be together apart, mm-hmm. it just feels contrived and terrible. Here. All the machinations, what they we see that what matters isn't that. Oh no, this was the wrong time for it. They were between relationships, and one of them was on a rebound or something like that. Mm. It's not about that. It's about how every single time that happens, that changes their relationship. And you can see how Sam starts getting like really defensive with Harry mm. if, after they haven't seen each other for a year and they've all been through a lot and Harry's not the same person and you can tell Harry isn't the same person mm. and he wants to connect with Sam as a friend or as a lover but Sam just can't cut Harry the slack uh-huh. and so all of a sudden Sam becomes the bad guy and that reverses multiple times as they just they make choices that are totally understandable based on what they're going through mm. but are also really bad decisions because they're young and they're not communicating yeah. And on that level, even though the narrative construction is really familiar, the writing is actually really good. Mm. Because when you're in doing rom-com, the, the whole trick with the rom-com, it boils down to this. At the beginning of the movie, you can't imagine them together. At the end of the movie, you can't imagine mm. them apart. That's and, it. And, you, I lo- and I love the ending. Yeah, <laughs> the ending is really sweet and romantic, mm. and it works. It's got like kind of a bold declaration of love shtick, but it works this time because mm. they don't overdo it, and it doesn't feel like no one's going to do any actual work. <laughs> right. so, sometimes the declaration of love is like, and I, and I did something awkward once, and so we're going to get married, right? Mm. Okay, we still have lots of work on the relationship. Oh, yeah, we'll work on the relationship. Okay, good. Like, they're great together. Mm-hmm. The character work is strong. I actually really like um, uh, Britt Barron from oh, Glow as the, the the straight best friend. Yeah, who <laughs> just who's just she's she's got a lot. She's basically the gay best friend in any heterosexual mm. rom com where they come in, they steal a scene, and then mm. they get the fuck out. But she's great, and she makes the most of the part. Um, mm. This is a really good romantic comedy if you accept that the romantic comedy genre is inherently formulaic. Mm. If you accept that, if that's not like, eh, it's all the same formula. If you accept that, this is really good, and I swear to God, Nico Taro is going to be a big deal someday. 
Like he's gonna be Green Lantern he's, or something. He's, he's, he's too he's too good looking. If, and if, he's if this really one charming. gets a little he's really likable, a, a little bit of extra. Tra- I think he's a, a little bit personality free in this one. I maybe maybe he's got a little bit more character in him at some I point. I think he's bringing a lot to a character who's supposed to be so laid back. It looks like he doesn't have character, and that's mm. why people underestimate him. Mm. I think you I, see I, him I actually think, doing the work. I, I think he's he's uh, coasting on his good looks for most of the movie. Oh, but they're yeah. so good looks. Uh, okay, <laughs> he's good looking. I. I do take issue with uh, sort of the, the dismissal of bisexuality in the movie. Mm. There's a, a bit where he's trying to sort of come to terms with uh, how he identifies, which is pansexual. He says, oh, I say pan, pan because uh, I've been told that bisexual is not the term to use anymore. Mm. <laughs> well, he also um, he also says that he realizes that that's pan is more his speed, but you're right. He yeah, doesn't uh, phrase it very well. He, he doesn't say, I identify as pan because that's the, the term I'm comfortable with. He kind of dismisses bisexuality outright. Well, I think I think what they were trying to do was, and, and again, I don't think this is the right place to do it because you're really not going to get any nuance in the actual vernacular. Mm. I think they were trying to address how bisexuality kind of expanded and now that's mm. it, it used to be seen like you know if you're into more than one gender mm. you were bisexual mm. but then there's also pansexuality which is slightly different and yeah. you know more inclusive but whatever but like it, the whole thing is I think he was trying to talk about how that terminology has evolved but mm. it ended up being more dismissive than educational yeah I think you're right about that and that scene did stand out you're right that mm. that, that, that part that, is that not great that one little bit I think people are, are who are trying to write pansexuality into scripts still aren't really familiar with the terms yet mm. and you know which is do a little reading. That's all. Uh, you know what wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> this was me? another issue with uh, with the show Big Mouth. Mm. Came under a little fire for not getting pansexuality right, dismissing bisexuality. You know, you know what wouldn't surprise me at all is mm. if they wrote the script. He said he was bisexual, and then that was a note. Okay, and they were just like, you know, maybe it makes more sense if he's pansexual, or that's something we could talk about in the script. Mm. And they just added a couple of lines to the scene where he said he was bisexual, mm. and, and but they they're just, really awkward lines. Yeah, yeah they're they, awkward they lines. They, they, they kind of they they mishandled that scene. I, think that's I, fair. I, I didn't like that bit, but um, that's totally fair. Also, I'm bisexual, so it, it stood out. Well, yeah, um, I mean, you know, it, it's it's too close to home. I get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like. This isn't isn't the scintillating charmer I think I wanted it to be, mm. but it is a charmer. Yeah, and I feel like you using these really familiar tropes to hold up a queer story is something that we're going to start seeing more and more of, and that we're just sort of getting a little throwaway queer romance on freeform is a is a wonderful thing and that it happens to be actually rather well written and, that, and then, really yeah. well cast it's, and pretty it's, damn and, good and, and that it's not trash is yeah. is kind of miraculous yeah it's it's okay that this is a three mm. maybe three and a half stars if you're really into Nico Taro <laughs> rom-com which, which, which I, I suspect you are I just want to see him in more stuff right. I just think he's cool mm. um, alright so that's uh, those are the movies let's uh, start let's review them let's do the critically let's claimed do our scale. letter grade alright so again, if you're new to the show, our letter grade system works thusly. We we judge things on a scale of C- minus to C+. Plus. Mm. The lowest you can get is a C-, minus, unless you're cats. And the lowest you, and the highest you can get is a C+. Plus. <laughs> C is average. Most movies are average. Mm. They're fine. Mm. C- minus is below average, which generally ranges everything from we just don't recommend it to it's really quite terrible. And C plus is above average, which mm-hmm. generally rolls into uh, we recommend you check it out. To this is an all time classic. Yeah. The thing about Harry, that that's a C, just a C, just a C. Okay, 
You want to you want to expand on that at all, or, or just? Uh, I mean, it, it's 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 kind of a plain film. Okay. I think that's a a, a wonderful thing, but it's still just a plain film. All right, I'm gonna give it a C plus. Okay. Uh, it's not not the highest C plus I've ever given or anything, mm. but um, I think that what we ask for from romantic comedies mm. is exactly what the thing about Harry gives us, and it does it with a lot of personality. And a lot of some some person. I think a lot of personality (laughs) and a lot of wit. And I think that even though there are elements of the production that are, you know, lacking, cheap, Mm. you know, maybe they don't handle some topics terribly well. um, Overall, it gives me everything I want from romantic comedy. All right, all right. uh, Let's see the photograph. Photograph C plus. Deeply passionate, very heartfelt, in in a way that I don't see in films a lot. A film that's not. Not holding back in terms of just spilling its emotions all over you. I like that. All right. Uh, a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon. Mm. I'm going to give it a very high C. Okay. Uh, it's very, mm. very cute. It's very, very likable. It's just not as funny as the last Shaun the Sheep movie. It just, the jokes don't always, like, almost every joke in Shaun the Sheep movie mm. is a knockdown, hilarious gag. Yeah. Here, it's like one out of every three. But that's still pretty good. Hmm. That's still pretty good. So it's a, it's a charming little flick. Yeah. I highly recommend it for families and kids. But the original's better. Yeah, I, I also give it a C. Um, but if this one leads you to the original Sean the Sheep movie or Pir- or the Pirates Band of Misfits. Or Arthur or, Christmas. Or, Arthur, or Early Man or just any of the other Ardman films, Flushed Away Notwithstanding, by all means. Yeah, this is on the low end of Ardman, hmm. but that's... Still really good company, except for Flushed Away. Mm. All right. And uh, lastly, Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog. C, C minus. You don't, uh. don't got to see it. <laughs> well, you don't have to see anything, but you're uh, specifically not. telling people not to go see don't, Sonic the Hedgehog. Don't go see Sonic the Hedgehog. There's <laughs> so many more positive things you can do with your life. If you're really into 90s nostalgia, wait and rent it on VHS. If you're into 90s nostalgia, <laughs> just watch the 90s movies. They're not lost to time. <laughs> These things are readily available. You can watch Super Mario Brothers any day. Remember those plastic sleeves they had at some video stores where it was like really tightly plastic sleeves and you had to like squeeze at the bottom? Oh yeah, those little squeezy cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the VHS tapes. Yeah. I I, I have a couple of those in my house. That's how I want to rent Sonic the Hedgehog. They'll slide it out of the case. I don't want to see this on DVD. I want to see this pan and scan <laughs> on a VHS that's been watched a few too many times. Like got a and few scratchy got, bits. Yeah, it's got a couple of bits where you need to adjust the tracking. Like got, and it's got a preview for like some unknown animated Pippi Longstocking movie on there. Yeah, and you're yeah. just sort of baffled by it because you never even heard of that yeah. one. Yeah. They made a never-ending story five? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's what you want. That's the sweet spot. Right there. <laughs> of the headshot. I'll see it eventually. I'm, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you'll kind of feel obligated. So well, I'm, like, I, one of those, I try to see everything. I know, and it's it's also very successful, and, you know, it'll be talked about in video game movie circles for however big those might be. I don't know. There's there's big stuff. There's stuff that even film critics miss that you'd be, like, surprised. Like, mm. I've never seen uh, the, the James Corden Peter Rabbit. Oh, okay. With Donald Gleason. Oh, you're so lucky. I hear it's terrible, there's, and I didn't have Peter, to see it, and I just kind of would rather... I know. <laughs> there's another Peter Rabbit movie. Yeah. Where Donald Gleason gets to 
and interact with a small furry anthropomorphic CGI monstrosity. Cool. Famous actor interacts with small CGI monstrosity as a subgenre unto itself. I want to see Daniel Day Lewis do it. He comes back out of retirement so he can do like oh, and he plays uh, uh, Underdog the movie. He played well. There is an Underdog oh, movie, okay, underdog and movie. Jason Lee played Underdog, so it's been done. Okay, um, sorry, sorry. He plays Bubsy. No, <laughs> he's got it. No, 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 no. Remember no. Bubsy? I do remember Bubsy. No, he can't. No, 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 no. He's taking Crash Bandicoot on a car ride. Oh, oh Daniel Day Lewis is the human. Yeah, he's got to be the human. That's the whole okay. point. Okay. That's the real test. Okay. Has anyone ever done the human interacting with the animated character in a comedy better than Bob Hoskins in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Not that I can think of. The only one That's I can kind think of, of kind of the, the, the high water mark. The only one I can think of who really went full bore and I bought it even though the movie sucked hmm. was Hugh McGregor and Christopher Robin. Oh, like acting opposite. He the was committed bears. to that. He, yeah. I believed him. Mm. It's just the movie was shit. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. It's a terrible motion picture. It's fa- so weird. My favorite scene in that Christopher Robin movie, we learn that the Pooh bear and all the animals are just have sort of been in the Hundred Acre Wood for decades. Mm-hmm. And just a lonely, just, yeah, just alone, wondering the, why, what, what is life? Should we be dead? And like, and, yeah. uh, and the, the the depressive Eeyore when we first see him is floating down a river, saying, "My suicide attempt didn't work." And you realize Eeyore can't die. Yeah, he, he wants to. He's doomed to... He, he wants to die so badly, he kills himself every day, and it just doesn't work. Did Christopher Robin convince himself that the, all of that was in his imagination? Do you think he went through like years of therapy to convince all that was in imagination? Or do you think he just abandoned his friends? I think he just abandoned his friends. Because well, he's not surprised. It was, it was, supposed, to, it was supposed to be like a metaphor for growing up. I'm leaving you behind, and they sort of melt away. But, but Christopher Robin literalizes it. Like, you know, Pooh comes back, and he's just like, oh, hi, Pooh. Like, he what are you talking? You just knew? He doesn't literalize it. They're literally alive. Other people see it. That's what that I meant. The movie literalizes yeah. it. Oh, God, that movie. It's so bad. Think out your metaphors. Damn it. Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, better than Mac and me. Not as good as Detective Pikachu. <laughs> Make of that what you will. <laughs> It's all, you have so many good Rotten Tomatoes quotes. <laughs> Just picking one will be hard. Anyway, uh, thank you everybody for listening to Critically Acclaimed this mm. week. We'll be back next week. Woo boy. Mm. With reviews of such films as Brahms, The Boy 2, Emma, period. Because mm. there's the actual period is in the title. Yeah, it's on the title screen. Because it's from I've, the I've book. I've seen, seen that one already. Looks like, uh, it looks like the frontispiece of a book. Uh, and uh, also, uh, I, if we can make time to see it, The Call of the Wild and maybe other stuff mm. as well. Um, Call of the Wild, the first film to be released under the 20th Century Films logo. Yeah, no more Fox. Mm. Just 20th Century. Which is weird, because why not also change it to 21st Century if we're already changing yeah. things? Uh, here's an interesting bit of trivia that somebody pointed out to me. Um... There already was a 20th Century Pictures mm-hmm. before they added the Fox name. Yeah. Back in the 30s. Yep. The last film in the 30s to have been released under 20th Century Pictures, The Call of the Wild. No! Kind of weird. That's super weird. It was not designed to be that way. It's just this weird coincidence oh, that they so brought weird. it back for another Call of the Wild. I remember I was uh, I was on the red carpet uh, covering Captain America, the first Avenger. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first big red carpet premiere Disney had done at the El Capitan since The Rocketeer. Another Joe Johnston movie. Oh, the same director. And yeah. I got to talk to Joe Johnston about that. And right. he was just like, yeah, weird, right? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I shut this place down and now I'm bringing it back. 
It's pretty funny. <laughs> Um, so yeah, anyway, so that's it for Critically Acclaimed. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to write us in, tell us about why Sonic the Hedgehog rescued your childhood or whatever, uh, you can always write us. Letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We have a whole podcast called We've Got Mail where we read your letters, we respond to your criticism, we give movie recommendations, we answer questions about the industry or ourselves or whatever the hell else you want to talk about, really. The, the, the floor is yours. Uh, so that's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. And over there, we have a ton of exclusive content, depending on what tier you have. We have downloadable commentary tracks. We have our Star Trek podcast, All Our Yesterdays. We have our Oscars podcast, Only the Best, where we review every single picture ever nominated for Best Picture. Hmm. What? Awesome. We're doing you said that uh, correctly. <laughs> I said that kind of weird, but all right. Uh, we have the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie where we're reviewing TV movies. And this year we've decided to focus almost, if not entirely exclusively, on TV movies made by Disney that are not on Disney Plus. So of, of which there are many. So we just did The Richest Cat in the World, and our next up we're going to be doing The Parent Trap 2, and maybe 3 if we can track them both down. <laughs> um, so that's coming up as well. We have polls for future content. We have an upcoming episode of The Big List. Sorry, The Iron List. Hmm. Sorry, The Iron List. God, it's late. Hmm. Uh, where we're going to be talking about, speaking of the 90s, the movies from the 90s that most exemplified the 90s or typified hmm. the 90s. Yeah. They're the most 90s movies we could think of, basically, is the long and short of it. Um, and also, stick around, because real soon we're going to be debuting our Star Wars podcast, Episode Zero, where we talk about all the movies that influenced Star Wars. Am I forgetting anything, Whitney? Uh, buy my radio drama. Please do. Buy my audio drama. Uh, I, I've actually done two, and a third is on, in the horizon, in fact. Um, if you're a top-tier patron, uh, yeah. you get those part and parcel with your those, subscription? Those, those come with the $20 tier, um, but you can also buy them piecemeal from me if you like. Uh, just contact me through... Uh, Twitter or Instagram, how, how much I'm on those things. Ten dollars uh, a piece. Okay, and they're uh, about they're, half an hour each. They're they're thirty minutes a piece. Uh, they both star, you know, casts of very talented actresses. And uh, the first one is called The Tenth Muse. The second one is called Love at Nana. And uh, they're both queer themes, just for the heck of it. It's just where my head was at the time. Yep. Uh, next one. Next one has hetero people in it. Uh, if, if you want. <laughs> if, if you want. It's your, uh, it's your, it's your writing. Do but, you uh, but yeah, just if you want to buy either of those, contact me. I'd be happy to sell them to you. Cool beats. All right, so thank you everybody for listening. Check us out on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>